Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Haley. It was great to sit down and talk with her as she is a newcomer to recovery. And she brings with that a lot of exuberance. But also, she has a deep understanding of everything that led up to this point and the things that she did that put her in a position to be able to recover. And I think the exuberance... The understanding, the self-awareness is all apparent in our conversation. It's great for me to hear from somebody who is fresh and new and excited and really wants to push in the right direction. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Haley. What is your first what are your first memories with alcohol, either growing up, and maybe not necessarily imbibing it, but was it something that was around when you were a kid? Or did you find uh, yeah. it later in life? Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I'm from an American military family, you know, we're army. So, um, you know, my family works hard, but they play harder, you know. Um, it wasn't uncommon when we were younger to have a glass of wine, you know, at 12, 13 years old at dinner because we grew up overseas. Um, you know, when my parents had parties when we were younger, um, alcohol was totally accessible. I mean, we could sneak it, people would give it to us. Um, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And now I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to let my kid do that. So. Mm -hmm. um, and so this was just always an occurrence. So you had it, you said 12 or 13. So going into high school, you were no stranger to, to alcohol. I don't and, think I got, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there's just that, that it, it was, you were no stranger. And I, I know a lot of people, I know I found it very, um, high school was where I started to really get into it. In high school, yeah, I mean, I kind of had a lot of issues with finding my identity and finding out who I was, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I got into high school, um, I just fell in with people, you know, my personality is very addictive, of course, but it's also very outgoing and the people that, you know, accepted me and I could fall into and I felt like I fit in were the people that were stoners and drinkers. And so, yeah, I, I really, I partied quite a bit in high school and that's where, um, you know, I started not drinking recreationally, but I started drinking because I wanted to escape my life. I wanted to get away. Um, I wanted to feel different and be different. So, um, you know, in my twenties was just like a blur. So. Yeah. Um, was there, was there a particular moment that you found, Oh, this is the magic elixir. This is the thing that makes me feel better. Um, you know, when I was in, you know, when I was younger, like I, I just remember when I had parents that were always away and worked or they were always out overseas or something, you know, I was the person that, that everyone wanted to be around because I had booze at my house. And I mean, I would steal it. I would fill it up vodka bottles with water and put them back in the freezer, which freeze, <laughs> you know, and um, I, I didn't care about any of the consequences that I had for my parents. And um, I think when I realized like, hey, alcohol is the key to me fitting in. Alcohol is mm -hmm. the key to boys liking me. Alcohol is the key to me having friends and wanting people to be around me um was around like 16 17 and um yeah. you know i just i went balls to the wall with it i i didn't care about when you know i needed to take my driver's test i had no no concern about my future about the sats about college about getting a job i all i did was party and kind of have this mindset like well my when my parents die i'm going to be set for life anyway and i don't need to do anything and like that's how fucked up like my disease was is that i didn't have to be accountable for anything daddy was always going to get me out of it and you know i didn't have any consequences for what i did and i i lived like that for a really long time i was just like a cyclone of destruction did you make it through did you graduate high school I actually dropped out of high school. I went to an all, I got kicked out of my high school. I went to an alternative high school. Um, I fell in with the drug dealers because that was cool. My uh, mindset was, hey, I'm cool. I'm with the guy that has all the good stuff. Um, that's also when I realized I was pretty naive because that's when I started seeing like dope and stuff for the first time and not really knowing like why homeboy was nodding out like while we were talking and playing video games, you know, like I was real naive, but I wanted to be hard and act hard. And, you know, it was just, 
it was like that that superficial kind of um aid to help me fit in and um I, I got kicked out of that high school or I didn't get kicked out. I left that high school because something happened. It was like a drug deal gone bad. It was a friend of mine who went over there and I went to school the next day and everyone was calling me a snitch, calling me a narc. And I was having people threatening me. And that was also a testament to how naive I was. I wanted to hang out with these people. Um, something went bad and I didn't even think that was a consequence. That could have, of course, it's a consequence that it could happen. You go over to someone, you bring people around, you bring the wrong people around wrong people and um you know things happen and uh so I dropped out and I got my GED yeah it's um it's amazing to me I barely got through high school and um there was there were a couple of moments where I didn't I didn't see that it was going to be a possibility you know it was I, I didn't care until the until the consequence came down you know um was there a moment in in high school, so you 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 got the GED. You've moved on now that you don't have the constraints of high school. How do you go forward? Like you said, in your twenties, were a blur. Um, was it just more drinking? And <clears throat> it was. Um, so, you know, by the grace of God, I got to adulthood, and um, you know, my entire twenties were a big ass party. I was like, I never grew up. Um, I was smoking all the time. I was experimenting. Well, I was no longer experimenting. I was using Coke. I was rolling. And like my, I didn't realize until I went to rehab and they, they have you do the timeline stuff. Like I, every time I put a substance in my body, I never was the person that were like my peers where they tried something and they just dabbled in it like a couple of times on the weekends. You know, every time I tried something, I was like, oh man, I love this feeling, you know? And I just went, I went to the wall. Like I went real hard. So I was like shrooming all the time. The first, the first, I shroomed for like a year straight. I was rolling on ecstasy for like a year straight. I was selling Coke because that meant I got Coke for free. Um, I was, I mean, I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was working at bars. Like when you're mm -hmm. slinging drinks, you're, I mean, the, that industry is just like hand over fist cash all day long and drugs and alcohol. I mean, people were offering me, you know, heroin and stuff. And somehow I had the memo, like I had the post-it stuck to my head that was like, I'm never going to do heroin. And I never did. Um, but you know, I just, I, I smoke PCP, which I don't think I've ever told anyone, um, but I'm living with rigorous honesty now. Um, I just, I did, a, I did, I did all sorts of stuff and I was living at home with my dad and he wasn't really holding me accountable because, you know, he's, a, he has to work, he has to uh, pay for his house. And like, you know, I just, um, I stayed out all day, all night long and I slept all day. I was just like a, I was a mess, you know, I would take a class here or there at the community college. Um, and that was how I spent my twenties until I met my son's father. Yeah. It's amazing. I was a bartender for 12 or 13 years and it just becomes a way of life, that party. And you finally, in my mind, I finally found this, this was like the apex. I don't have to go to work until the very earliest would be four o'clock in the afternoon. So I could sleep all day. I could stay up until whenever I wanted. Um, and it was just a constant party. And so there was absolutely no problem and, and drinking at work. Well, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like when you say, when you talk about the post-it note on the head, and it, it occurs to me that I had those same kinds of um, lines that I wouldn't cross, although I would end up like, I think I smoked heroin one time off of some tinfoil out of a pizza box, but all I remember is the smell of pepperoni. You know, I don't know. We were so stoned and drunk and everything. So it was like, whatever. Right. But um, I feel like that gave me permission to do everything else. So I could always say, well, I never shot heroin. Yep. So it didn't matter how many mushrooms I ate. It didn't matter if, you know, uh, the molly and the cocaine and the methamphetamines and always, always, always the alcohol, you know. Right. Um, but it's it's just it, it brings me back to that 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 very long, strange period in, in my life. Um, but you were saying that you met your your kid's father and that's, I did. that's when things changed. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, there was like this small window of time where, um, you know, I kind of got my stuff together. I started taking school a little more serious. I started realizing that I wanted to be like, not just a piece of shit. You know, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to have more, you know, and um, I wanted my parents to be proud of me. So, you know, I took school a little bit more seriously. Um, I found a good job in administration and my work ethic, you know, was really good. I, I went to work every day. I didn't miss work. Um, you know, I still drank on, you know, mostly every night, but it wasn't problem drinking that I think, you know, it wasn't binge drinking as well. I still binge drank on the weekends, but um, I met him and, you know, all those feelings of like inadequacy and feeling like I didn't fit in. And like, I, I felt like, you know, I had to provide something for people to be my friend or to want to be around me. Like here was this guy and like my new identity was being his girlfriend. You know, it was like, I, everything I felt about how, like, you know, I fucked everything up in my life. Like now I have this guy who's going to like take me away from all that. You know, it's just like transference of like all my issues into this relationship. And, um, it was really, really toxic. He was a problem drinker. He had, you know, arrests and DUIs. Um, there was some physical, you know, mental, emotional, psychological abuse that happened. Um, and I pulled further and further away from my family and any real friends, any genuine friends I actually had, because, you know, I would, I don't want to blame him, but, you know, we had a really good way of of isolating Haley. So at the end of the day, you know, I didn't have anyone, um, you know, and I, at that point, all I had was my relationship and my job. And that's what I did. And, you know, we would drink and um, things would get ugly. Um, and, you know, I, I say, you know, how we left off, you know, was really rough, but I'm very grateful that what happened happened because I don't know if I would have gotten better. I don't know if holding on to this only thing I have, which is being in a relationship with someone and being a girlfriend, you know, I don't know if I would have wanted to let that go. Um, so when I met him, you know, I got pregnant with my son and I just, I, I was, I was good. I was great. Like I was such a good mom. I'm still a good mom, you know, but uh, it was like Haley, Haley fucked up everything in her life. Right. Like Haley is a terrible student. She's a really bad daughter. She's a shitty sister. She's a shitty friend, but like, oh man, she's like a great mom. She's like naturally an awesome mom. And like, that was now my identity. You know, I was a, I was a mom and I was a good one. And, um, Shortly after that, you know, I, I had my son, I, I told this on another show that I did, you know, I, I had something called a postpartum hemorrhage, like my pregnant was pregnancy was completely uneventful, but basically it's like something that happens one out of five pregnancies and you like hemorrhage, like, you know, potentially to death. It's like how everybody died back in the day when they were delivering kids, like, you know, um, and I could feel myself in that like that delivery room and they called code hemorrhage and like all the nurses flooded the room and like kicked my family out you know I could feel myself like slipping away and I could feel myself like like my spirit like leaving my body but I saw my son and I was just like okay with leaving like knowing that I got to see him and like meet him I was like this amazing thing I made and you know when I was when my drinking got really, really bad up until I went to rehab, you know, I tell this part of my story because I would just look at myself in the mirror and I would be like, you almost died bringing your son into this world. Like you got a chance to raise him. You got a chance to be here. Why are you doing this? Like, cause I was miserable. It wasn't a party anymore. It was like, I was miserable. I was suffering. And, um, you know, uh, that, that moment, like, you know, effed with me for a really long time, just like remembering how I felt when I thought I was never going to be able to hold him or see him again. And, um, yet I still drank and drank and popped pills and drank. And, um, yeah, it's just, the disease is wild that way. It doesn't matter what happens. You still make the decision you make, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I think too, we don't, there's the, the notion of, of rock bottom. And so I know 
and it sounds to me similar, but I had many of them where I'd have those moments and, but still not do anything about it. But that was, so it then became this sort of series of rock bottoms that collectively collapsed on me. Um, and so, so at, after this moment was how long until you find that, I mean, you, you mentioned rehab, but how yes. long did you go on before you finally said enough is enough? So when, um, you know, after I had my son, I got my life together again and I was doing great. My son's father and I didn't work out. And it was like my second act, like Haley's life begins again without like dad, the dad in the picture. Right. And I felt good. I felt fine. But like, uh, you know, I noticed that when my son was at visitation with his father or, you know, he was asleep that like, I no longer had this distraction, you know, I no longer had something to like keep my mind from riddling me, you know, of all of my shortcomings and all my character defects. Like, and I just noticed I was drinking a little bit more, you know, by myself. And, um, I, I didn't think there was anything of it. And, you know, I, I, you know, I worked really hard and I was a single mom, you know, I, I thought I deserved to, you know, not feel bad that I had to drink two bottles of wine and take a couple Xanax to go to sleep, you know? And, um, yeah, it, I don't know. And I tell that I, I say that I don't even know when it happened. It was like, I woke up one day and I realized that I, you know, I wasn't drinking coffee in the morning when I got ready for work and putting on my makeup and in the shower, I was drinking vodka. I was drinking Tito's and orange juice. I was drinking wine. I was drinking whatever was in the house. And, um, you know, my work performance started slipping. So I went to the doctor and got a prescription for Adderall. And now I can drink all day long and pop amphetamines. And um, I was doing my damn thing. I got like all the professional accolades. I was an executive assistant for a national company. Like, I was doing the damn thing, going to practices, but like I was, you know, I was drinking before I went drinking. I was drinking before I went to my friend's house. I'd be sitting in the car drinking before I walked into their house because God forbid I drink way more than them. And they're like, what the hell? Haley's got to get on the road or God forbid anybody be like, maybe you shouldn't drive because you had a couple more glasses of wine than we did. You know, I, it was just, I noticed I was doing a lot more, um, a lot more shit on the sly and a lot more lying, a lot more deception. I was hiding it in my car. I was hiding it in cabinets. Um, and people were noticing, people were making comments. You know, my father would be like, you know, I don't, uh, I, do you even remember when you came over here? Like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. No, I had no recollection of it. And my boyfriend would say the same thing, you know, like I, I can't protect you and I can't, watch out for you like that's his job that's the kind of relationship we fell into right like i was the bloody mess and he had to be the caretaker you know um it was so unfair to him and um he's like i can't you know i told your dad and your family that i would i would protect you and i would watch out for you but you function completely normally you still go to work you put your son to bed you read him a book like you make dinner from scratch like i can't I can't watch you and protect you because I don't know when you're fucked up anymore. And like, that was, um, that was really scary to me, you know? And I, I was hospitalized a couple of times because I like, I broke my finger. Um, and I, I noticed my son, I have a six-year-old son and he's, I mean, you can imagine being a single mom and the delivery I have, like, he is my life. Like he is my life. And, um, I noticed that he was just getting super hypervigilant, you know, like I would drop something in the kitchen and he'd come running over and be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And he'd be so panic stricken. And I'd be like, yes, sweetie, I'm fine. Like it's all right. And it didn't take until I went to rehab and I couldn't sleep because I was having cold sweats and freaking, you know, tremors and shit at night that um, I realized that was because he had seen me fucked up so many times and seen me hurt myself. And I didn't remember. And he was just like scared, you know? And, um, that was really hard for me. That was really yeah. hard is it, it was hard to have him say, mommy, um, are you going to get wine? And maybe like, well, sweetie, like adults drink wine sometimes. And for him to say, you know, well, you get really sad when you drink wine. And, um, you know, that killed me. I mean, you think that they're too young, but they, they know and see everything. And, um, I tried to stop on my own. I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. 
I can't do this anymore. You know, I did the foxhole prayer. Like, I can't do this anymore, God. Like, I either asked him to take me out or take this away. Um, neither happened. And uh, I realized that I was physically dependent on it because I, I had really bad withdrawals. I mean, like I was hallucinating. Um, my heart was just, I thought I was having a heart attack. Went to the hospital right before I left because I was like, I'm just going to calm down before I go to rehab, you know? And um, I couldn't do it on my own. And um, that's when I realized like this was, this is really freaking serious. Um, so yeah, I, I went down to South Florida to rehab. And uh, when I went, I thought I was just hitting the reset button. Haley just need to like chill. Like I was going to get my shit together. The family was going to be like, she's good. Look at her. She's resilient as fuck. And um, yeah, I had no idea that um, I was going to learn that my relationship with substance and, you know, any, any substance was that I could no longer have them whatsoever. Like that was a very rude awakening. I, and my mom said, <clears throat> apparently to my family, you know, I don't think Kaylee realizes that she can't do like at all. And I, I, I did not, I did not know that. <laughs> you thought, you thought rehab would allow you to come back a normal drinker. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. And um, so how long were you in rehab? Uh, I went, oh, I'm sorry. Just how long were you in rehab for? I went to detox for 14 days. Mm -hmm. And on my 13th day, they kept asking me, they had all these like terms. Are you going to PHP? Are you going to IOP? Are you doing this? I'm like, nah, y'all, I'm going home. I'm going to DC. Fuck this place. Like, peace out. I'm nothing like you. Like, and then they told me, I mean, like, I just, I can't even tell you. Um, and then they were like, look, we want you and the idea here is for you to go to the next level of care, partial hospitalization. And it's a 28 to 30 day program. And oh my God, when I say I lost my shit, I mean, they had to bring three dudes in there to calm me down. Cause I was like, oh hell no, you're not going to keep all my shit. Like I want my phone. I want my laptop. I want like, get my dad on the phone, you know, because that's what I do. I'm like, call daddy. He's going to get me out of this shit. You know, I was just, um, I was so uh, scared. Like I realized this like reaction I was having was because I, I was realizing this was real. Like this wasn't just them trying to get me to stay. Like I needed to stay and I had a problem and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. um, and I stayed at the, uh, I stayed down in Florida for a total of 35 days. You know, if I didn't have my son here and he wasn't in a fantastic school in this County, um, I probably would have stayed there because I took every suggestion that they threw at me. And one of them was people, places, things, you know, um, once I surrendered and accepted, this was my, was, was my life. I, and I realized I had no idea what I was doing. So I did what everyone told me to do. And, um, I could not do that. Uh, so I came home, but, um, you know, I, I got right into, to the fellowships and, um, into meetings and in the rooms. And, um, you know, I, I, I just really wanted to make this work because I didn't ever want to be away from my son for that long again for something like this. Right. It's a, it's always amazing to me how, and re it reminds me how powerful the denial can be with ourselves and how, uh, and I, I did not. Um, I, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I think I could have used rehab. I think that it would have been extraordinarily helpful. And there was a lot of uh, painful lessons I had to learn on my own that I probably could have used more help with. Right. Um, but I remember thinking, this shit has got to stop as I was finishing my last beer. And that moment of, well, I just really need like maybe a week if I just quit drinking for a week, cause I'd done that before and kind of cleared my head and then I felt fresh and everything was fine. And then I could go back out and drink again. <clears throat> and, um, but I was, I, I, at no point did I think I was going to have to stop forever in that moment. At no point was there like, no, this is just, this is just part of the, the usual regular damage control. You know, you're just going to have to go ahead and, fight this little fight again and then you'll be back on the horse and 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 it it took me it took me a lot of time and a lot of help but you know that like oh okay no this is never again yeah and the finality is terrifying but until as you say until you surrender and you let go and you're like oh okay i'm actually being released from something 
I'm not, this is not a restriction. This is not, this is not a punishment. Not drinking is not a punishment for me. You know, right. this is a, this is a, a relief. So, um, but so it's just, it, it's always a good reminder to remember that denial should it creep in again for myself. Oh yes. Um, so you have completed rehab, you get into the fellowships, you are back in DC and everything is fine and wonderful. And you are, you, I mean, you're taking to the program. It's, yes. It's working and. Oh, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say everything was like fantastic. You know, I came back and um, I, I lost my job. Like the second I went back into my office, I lost my job. And, you know, I, I know that because of the pandemic they're doing, they did a bunch of rent, like closed field offices around the country and a bunch of layoffs. But, um, you know, I don't know if it was because I ended up going down to treatment or because they caught me drinking because I was drinking at work. I was drinking at my desk. I was drinking outside. I don't know if it, you know, kind of clicked and they had to do something once they realized, you know, HR realized I went down to, um, you know, because they get all my short term disability stuff. Like it certainly wasn't a secret, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I got home and I got out of my little bubble, I went to IOP. So I got into IOP up here. And IOP again? Is... Um, it's intensive outpatient. Thank you. So um, it's basically just a continuation of care from like the partial hospitalization. You know, you go to these groups where you're sitting with other people that are in, that are in rehab. It's still rehab, but um, a little more like liberal as far as like you take like three hours of this group setting um, three nights a week. And like, they just go over things, you know, like you talk about your addiction and you talk about how we're going to combat that and how, you know, it was just, it was great because when I got out of my bubble and I got out of that house, that rehab house, and I came home and I was doing life on life's terms. And like, when I came back, the election was going on, the whole world was losing their damn minds. And I was just like, like, I can't change anything. Like I can only accept the thing. Like, like I, I couldn't relate to anyone. Everyone was like, aren't you just outraged about all? And I'm like, no, because I just have so much peace now that I can't be bothered with that bullshit. Like I can't do anything other than my civic duty. And it was Mm -hmm. just, I found every day me just being more and more at peace. And when I lost my job, like everyone was kind of waiting. They were like looking at me, like waiting for me to lose my shit, right? I was waiting for me to lose my shit. And I just never did. I was like, this is a sign from my higher power. Like it's a whole nother chapter for me. I need a clean slate. So my higher power took my damn job away. And now I have a chance to start another chapter. And, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just kept, I did everything they told me to do. I went to the meetings. I did my affirmations. Um, I was in a relationship when I went down to um, Florida and I came home and I told them that like, you know, unfortunately I, I cannot be with you. You know, I can't love you the way you deserve right now. And I can't risk being codependent again, my whole life. I haven't had to fucking stand on my own for anything. Like I haven't had to rely on me because I always relied on someone else. And like, right now I have to do this alone. I have to be by myself. And, um, you know, that was really hard to do, you know, but I, I felt so good after that. Cause I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I don't think I would, I think I would have relapsed quickly knowing that I would have had, you know, the cushion underneath me that was, and that's how it was before I left. I had no consequences for anything. This guy loved me. He loves me to death. I, I could do no wrong in his eyes. And I did so much bad stuff. Like it, I was out of control, you know, and I had no consequences with not even a talk that said, Hey, if this shit doesn't change, I'm going to be out, you know? And I just, I, I looked at how fucked up that is. Like, he's codependent on being like needed by me and being a caretaker, you know, which I don't blame him for. He loves me. And that's like his vision of what that love is. And I exploited that to the best of my ability in active addiction. And like, it's just, it's not something I want to do like ever again, you know? Yeah. It's really hard (laughs) in, in relationships, especially when you recognize those things and you you care about somebody very much and you want the best for them and realize 
but that's not going to include me right now. Right. We never, but it's, and it's a really, especially because as somebody, you know, when we talk about being addicted to substances, right, alcohol, drugs, all that stuff, but mostly, you know, alcohol, um, it's sometimes hard to realize, or maybe we come to realize it more in recovery, but that they, being addicted to being codependent, what on whichever side you're on, whether you are the one giving the the dependence or you are requiring it. And so, I mean, that's a, it's a huge thing because it's, it's, it's easy to um, transfer those, those, those addictive feelings into Absolutely. another person. Um, I did want to ask you now, I have absolutely no concept of Washington, D.C. other than what I see on the news. And you mentioned <clears throat> you got sober, you came back around the election. So it um, so and you said you found peace so that it was you were you were unaffected. Now, um, does that does that hold true? I mean, because do, is there more going on in your area? Obviously, you live in D.C., does that any of that stuff affect you regularly or not at all? Are you? Not at all. I mean, um, am I disappointed by certain things? Absolutely. I mean, my parents are both, you know, military. My dad was an airborne ranger. My mom retired as lieutenant colonel. My grandfather fought three wars for this damn country as a black man. Like, uh, I was disgusted by what happened. But um, at the end of the day, I have to only worry about like what's going on in my house. And um, mm -hmm. I am a very, um, you know, patriotic person. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Trump, but like, I grew up in a house where we didn't talk shit about our commander in chief out in public you know you just kept that shit to yourself and um you know i'm not saying i, I do my part as far as like justice you know and in, in voting in ways that um i think are are right you know but i just i don't i never really got caught up in all of that you know i had my opinion i never really was like f this like fuck Trump. you know i just was like man i get to go to a school i want to go to i get to work i get to like walk out of my house i don't get gassed in my sleep like in syria like i'm just like grateful i just was was raised to be like grateful for living in the free world you know what i'm saying like and being fortunate enough to live somewhere where like i get to do whatever the hell i want to do and um you know that's kind of been my philosophy so i don't know if that played into when i came home just being like man the shit's wild out here but i just i can't even my sister, you know, I love my sister to death. She's going to listen to this, I'm sure. And it's like, you know, she gets very worked up about these things, you know, and I, I get it, but like, I almost can't be that soundboard for people anymore because I just can't, I can't get worked up too. And I even explained it to her one day. I said, you know, if I let everything that I felt very profoundly like strong about just work me up, like I would always, I'm just all, I was always like that before. I was always very overwhelmed by everything. I was just so sensory, like sensitive that like, I would just be worked up, worked up. I mean, I was just a ball of, of anxiety. And I was like, I, I have to tell you that I'm not trying to sound unsympathetic or unempathetic. Like I'm not having an empathetic fail here. I just, I can't get worked up about stuff like this like resentments and anger and fears are what keep me sick and then when you start getting into that it's just like oh, okay like i don't need the aa talk you know and i i get it like i get it you know i get it like she's a normie like i get it but it's just like nah like i'm worried about like this right here and um everything else i gotta leave at the door you know what i'm saying like i do period yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. I get I get the same way because I get very um, I can if I allow myself to become focused on other things out there and I can I can watch the news and I can listen to the news and I can get worked up over the news and I can get terrified and I can get you, you know what I mean? Like to the point mm -hmm. where I'm like, I don't know what's going on and everything's uncertain and there's anxiety and and then I'm going and then I look out my front door and there's you know, sunshine and hummingbirds. Like, so what do you want to focus on, John? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, what do you, absolutely. do you want to focus on the, on the things that you have resentments for and are going to cause you to drink if you keep, you know, digging into those? Or do you want yep. to go ahead and say, we're going to turn that off and we're going to focus on the things in front of you. And again, not to go into all the AA speak, but find a little gratitude for the day that you have in front of you rather than 
the anxiety that is yes. being caused by everybody else's unchecked resentments going, yes. you know what I mean? So yes. none of my business, right? Because the priority has got to be that I don't drink. The priority has got to be that I focus on myself. And that's the only, you know, and that's the only way that any real change in my life has ever come. And of course, there are externalities that are that are happening outside that do affect me. I'm not deluded into thinking that they're not, but the real change has come from the actions that I have I have taken for myself, you know. Um, so I'm just curious, especially, you know, being right there, what I imagine is in the thick of it, but obviously I don't know because I have no concept of Washington, DC. <laughs> it's tense, you know, yeah. it is tense and um and not also not to get in the AA talk, but I, I figure, you know, my, the only thing that I can do is, is, is do what my high power tells me to, and to treat people kindly in a place where people are being really, really ugly, really ugly. There's a lot of hate and a lot of ugliness out there. And, um, you know, I'm just going to pray for those people really. I mean, like mm -hmm. I, I, I don't hate them. I feel very terrible that they are, um, they are that, they are that hurt inside that they would treat other people the way they do. Um, I, I don't think anyone should be that tormented. Um, and I know what it's like to be tormented. And, and you know, unfortunately people like us, I don't think we tormented um, everyone around us. Like some of these people do, we just tormented ourselves in active addiction. So um, I just pray for those people and I treat people with kindness because um, there's already enough ugliness and hate in the world. And I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to add any more to that. I, I, I take that really seriously. You know, I, I try to combat things with kindness and grace because, you know, hurt people hurt people. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And that's probably, I mean, honestly, that's, that's great advice for everybody, <laughs> you know, because it's very, very true. And a lot of people are in a lot of pain yeah. for a lot of different reasons. And um, when you talk about trying to find I guess, you know, not adding to the ugliness, not adding to the hate and trying to find some sort of sympathy or empathy. And it's not always easy, but it's a, the act of doing that is, is better, you know, even self-serving it's better for me. And like you said, pray for them. And my sponsor said, Oh, you have, you got a problem with that guy. Well, I need you to go home and pray for him. And I'm like, for how long? I'm like, well, do it for two weeks. And I was like, fuck, really? Every day for two weeks, you want me to pray for this person? I yeah. hate this person. Yeah. Like, okay. And then after two weeks, I'm like, yeah, I still kind of hate this person. Well, we're going to have to do it for another two weeks. And I was like, this is, this seems stupid. Okay. And ultimately, I guess, you know, you could say my heart has softened or, or whatever, but okay. Thank, thank God. I don't have to hate that person anymore, you know? So it does work is just, it can be annoying and exhausting at first, but I'm like, Absolutely. oh, I get it now. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone told me once <laughs> and not the not a bunch of times since then that, um, you know, holding on to that hate is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of people that I wish would take that cup out there. <laughs> a lot of people in power I wish would drink that cup right now, but, um, it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, wishing that is only going to, is only going to take me out of my, yeah. out of my element. And I'm, I'm not willing to do that right now. Yeah. What is, um, what is, I, I know that it's, it's different now, um, with lots of things closed and whatnot, but what is the recovery community like in DC? Um, so yeah, my home group is closed down. I've been doing all my meetings online. Um, mm -hmm. There are, there is one place, uh, well, not one place, I'm sure there's several, but one place that I go to, but they can only allow like, I think 10 or 12 people in there. So I just do everything uh, via Zoom. You know, I'm one yeah. of those people that's like doing what I'm told to do. And like, I'm not going out unless I absolutely have to. Um, so I do everything online and, you know, I, 
a lot of people are like, I like the in-person. And I'm like, the only thing I like about in-person is when I hit three and four months, I wanted that. I didn't want no damn virtual chip. I wanted like that shit in my palm, you know? And, um, but other than that, I see all the same faces and we, we fellowship and chat and like, I have no, pro- I mean, I'm a millennial, I guess I have no problem with this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't mind doing this even when things do open up. Like I don't have to get in my mm-hmm. car in the cold. I don't have to dick around defrosting it. Like, it's just, it's nice. Like I've been doing, I've been faring just fine. And, um, the community here is so vast. Like I, I swear to God, I had like the weirdest week. Um, I got into this, uh, my IOP that I went to up here, uh, my intensive outpatient, they have an alumni meeting every Thursday. So I get on it when I can, you know, um, and it's usually every week. And I listened to this guy that did the lead the whole damn time. And I looked at his name and I was like, it didn't even dawn on me. And then like, we were getting ready to close and I had shared, I like cried about something. I was, I just got all emotional for some odd reason. And uh, I looked down and I was like, Brandon. And I like messaged him the little zoom chat box. It was like, Brandon. He was like, Oh my God, Haley. And he's like, this guy I went to high school with. And he, and he was like, Oh my God. I was like, look at us all in Alcoholics Anonymous, man. Like, it's just funny like that, you know, yeah. like I just, I'm like, I'm so proud of us. Like, I mean, I think six, I mean, four months ago, if you told me that I went to an AA meeting and I saw someone I knew from high school, I would have been mortified. And now I'm like, look at us. This is so exciting. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it's just, it's wild. Like, I'm just so proud of people that like, didn't know what the hell they needed to do, but knew they needed to do something. And like, here we are, you know, mm-hmm. supporting one another and just like, I can't even tell you how much I love like recovery. Like I just, I got like the fire for recovering my belly. Like it's no one's business. Like I, and sometimes I worry, I'm like, yo, am I like, gonna like, is it going to hit me where I'm not going to be on this pink cloud and I'm not going to be like, like, when is like, okay, I just need to keep things in perspective. Keep it, keep it cool. Like I'm here mm-hmm. because of my higher power. I'm here because I need to do the work. Don't get comfortable, you know, cause I don't want to end up where I was. I want to have like a, a, a good balance of like concern for, you know, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, cause you're, you said what, how, how long? I have four months and I think like three weeks. Like I'm That's just short, huge. short, shy of five months. That's awesome. That's and huge. And yeah. that's, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. Four months is a big deal and you should enjoy the pink cloud. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think what I see currently with Zoom versus the, the, in-person meetings, which I can't wait to get back to because I, I have a great home group and a lot of, a lot of yeah. great recovery, a long-term recovery. One of the guys is, I think he's almost got as many years as I am alive, you know? So it's, wow, it's, yeah. it's, it's awesome to listen to these guys. And, um, but the zoom calls, well, so one thing that I found in my first, you know, year, 18 months is I would go to the same meeting over and over and over and over. And I loved it, but then I started to I got bored with it. And then I got resentful toward the AA meeting. I was like, this is insane. I don't know what to do. How am I resentful toward the thing that's supposed to help me? And so then I started going to different ones and I would just try a different random one and I would just go there and I'm like, I would be, and it was kind of this adventure of searching for a meeting and then driving off somewhere I've never been. And then finding myself in a halfway house somewhere out in the woods and going, where am I? And some dude who just got out, you know, just got out of prison and all this other. So it was, it was hugely eye-opening and really reinvigorated um, my interest in it. Mm-hmm. But with Zoom, I've got one I think I do on or that I do on Sunday mornings out of Seattle, and then the girl turned me on to that. She's been doing them in Atlanta, and so there's this huge. It's it's opening it up, and I'm really seeing a lot more, not just diversity and inclusivity, but different perspectives that I am not used to getting because I'm going to the same one in the same town at the same time. Right. Which is great. And I think that it's, I think routine is hugely important in my recovery, you know, but adding a little bit of flavor to it and, and being able to see how other people are approaching it is huge for me. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's a, that's a huge plus with the, the zooms instead of the rooms, you know? Yes. 
I agree with that. I definitely, it's cool to be able to like hop on one in Ireland or Australia, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would totally agree with that. It's, and to realize how, how huge this community is, like, it's incredible. And we all don't have the same story, but we have the same solution. It's just like so powerful. So I'd agree wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. with that. Um, so I want to, I got a couple more questions for you. I want to ask now. So at, you said, you said four months and three weeks, Yeah, four months. And uh, I was trying to look at this app four months and like a few weeks. I'm, I'm a mess. (laughs) What are you, what is your current struggle in recovery right now? Oh man. Uh, I, I have never had to feel my feelings so much in my life. Like I did not ever allow myself to feel my feelings. And I didn't feel things for the better part of 20 years. I'm 34. I've been drinking since I was 15 and 16. Um, Having to sit in my feelings and acknowledge them and honor them and call my sponsor and tell her that I need to honor them and acknowledge them and want to slap her across the face. You know, it's hard. Um, and, but it's, it's like, so, um, it's like, so, I don't know the word. It's just so like, uh, it's so empowering too. I've never been able to not pick up a drink. And I mean, when I'm happy, cause when I'm happy, I felt like I didn't deserve to be happy. So I drank, or I was just waiting for something else to, bad to happen, you know, because mm-hmm. something bad always happens. So you know, that anxiety, which isn't normal behavior. Um, when I'm sad, of course, when I'm anxious, when I'm angry, you know, I drank over everything. I had never allowed myself to feel anything. And I don't, I don't have that anesthesia anymore. And, um, now it's like sitting in my feelings and feeling like shitty for a couple days, you know, and then coming out on the other side and being like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like I've never had that experience before. It took this long to be like, oh shit, this is what normal people do. Like they come out on the other side of their feelings without the whole damn house burning down and everything being a disaster because they decided to drink it or drug it away. And it's just like, it's very empowering. But that is a struggle for me because every time you know, every time something happens, um, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, I didn't think about alcohol like every single day, like every single day, it goes away. But sometimes I have these fleeting thoughts that are like, you know, what would happen? I romanticize that drink. Like what would happen if I was a normie? What would it be like if I could just not ruin my entire life with a couple of drinks after work, you know? And it's like, why I have to like reprogram those intrusive thoughts. And, um, sometimes I have like daydreams. Sometimes I'm like, I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm like, did I stop at like the bar on my way home from work today? Or was that just like a, di- I can't even explain. It's like your mind yeah. is just and your mind plays the craziest tricks on you. Yeah. 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 I, I know exactly what you, what you mean about that. Cause my brain was still used to drinking all the time and was going, where is this thing? And it, it was almost as if it was creating it on its own thinking, yep. oh, well, I have to replace it because this is how we've lived. This is how we've survived. I need this. My brain would say to me, I need this. So mm-hmm. I'm going to make up, you know, daydreams or, or night dreams or whatever. So I definitely know those, those feelings. Um, <clears throat> and then what at this stage in your recovery, what advice would you give to somebody who maybe is currently struggling with alcohol or drinking or thinking about quitting? My advice would be, you know, my reality, my harsh reality is that if you think, if you have to ask yourself if you have a problem or if you are struggling with understanding your relationship with substance abuse or alcohol, you probably do. And um, it would not hurt for you just to reach out. It's super overwhelming to think about that on your own. So don't do it on your own. Reach out to someone in the recovery community. I'm open and out and I've received so many messages from people being like, where do I start? And I'm willing to talk recovery or you starting off any time of the day, no matter what like time zone you're in, where you are, what, you know, I reach out to someone, you know, like hop, we have Instagram and social media, hop on a recovery post and 
mess dm the person and say i don't know who you are but i know i can't do this anymore where do i start you know reach out because you can't do it alone and um all you got to do is listen like i had to have control over everything i had to know how everything was going to end i had to know the beginning and end and middle to everything i did and you know i had to let go i had to relinquish that 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 control over how you know uh, this was going to go and uh, you know that allowed me not to have my story end like so many other people you know and uh it dying or uh you know losing everything and being behind bars so uh don't wait do not wait and uh you know, just no one that you reach out to in the recovery community is ever going to ignore that message or not do everything in their power to, to make sure you get the resources, um, you know, that you need. And, you know, we'll look up meetings for you. We'll hop on meetings with you on zoom, you know, like it's just the possibilities are endless. So don't shortchange yourself. Amen to that. Um, Thank you so much. Where, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, Haley, where can they, where should they find you? Can they find um, you? I do not have Facebook, but I am on Instagram at recovery baddie, R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y-B-A-D-D-I-E. Okay. And, um, That's where I found you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I love talking recovery. I don't know everything. I'm only on step four. It is a bitch, but it's so good. And, um, you know, I will, I'm happy to, to just provide resources that I use. I'm certainly not an expert, but, uh, you know, if anyone needs anything to talk or to find a place to start, um, I'd be happy to kind of, kind of tell you what worked for me. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It was it was nice to meet you. And yes, you're the you. best. You're so much fun, John. And- <laughs> Can we get along just fine outside of these? Right. Um, well, you know, when things open up and there's, there's travel again, and if I find myself in DC, I will reach out to you. Please, please. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always great. I love the perspective of somebody who is, um, who's fresh, you know, too, because it's, it's, it's easy at, you know, if I have five plus years to feel stale or bored or yeah, I've done this this many times or so I always I love talking about recovery too and I really appreciate your perspective and your time and your enthusiasm at this early stage. Thank (laughs) you. I appreciate that. Thanks again for listening. Our music as always is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.